So uh, the topic for this evening is uh, Buddhist outlook on life, which is uh, basically going to deal with uh, how do we apply the Buddhist teachings in our daily life? What does it actually mean to us? And I think that this is uh, extremely crucial because uh, it's very easy with the uh, Buddhist teachings to uh, study them, to uh, have uh, some sort of practice that we do, but uh, relating it to our actual daily life is uh, sometimes not so clear how to do that. What does it actually mean uh, in our life? How does it change our lives? How does it uh, affect me personally? You know, is my Buddhist uh, practice something which I just do on the side, like a hobby? Or uh, even worse, it could be an escape from uh, the difficulties of uh, my life. I just go off into some nice, pretty, you know, uh, fantasy of a uh, visualization or something like that. Or is it something, is our practice something which is very useful to me. In fact, it uh, really helps me in life, which after all is what the Buddhist teachings are intended for. They're intended to help us to overcome suffering, to overcome problems in our life. I think that a very good guideline for this is given in a very short prayer that is uh, usually recited before uh, most teachings by uh, the uh, Tibetan community. It's called Three Practices to be Done Continually. Uh, and and uh, there we have the line, commit not anything negative at all, splendidly enact what is constructive, fully subdue your own mind. These are the teachings of Buddha. So these are the main, most important points of uh, the Buddhist teachings. Commit not anything negative at all. Uh, what is negative? Negative here means something which is uh, self-destructive, something that uh, causes uh, problems and unhappiness either to others or in the long term to ourselves. And so what we do with Buddhist practice, the first thing is try not to cause harm to others or to ourselves. And second line, splendidly enact what is constructive. Constructive means something that brings about things going well for us and for others, that brings about happiness. And in order to do this, subdue our own minds. So this is uh, indicating what is the source of our acting in a destructive way and what is the source of our acting in a constructive way. And that uh, we need to work on ourselves, work on our attitude, work on... Uh, our uh, emotions, all these sort of things, that this will then affect how we deal with others, how we deal with life, how we act, how we speak, how we relate to others, and so on. This is the kernel of the Buddhist teachings. And if we look a little bit more deeply, as one of my uh, Buddhist teacher friends pointed out, he said that uh, what is the basic approach 
in Buddhism is to be realistic, deal with reality. What is reality? And to base our behavior and our understanding of things on reality. And what is the reality? What is reality, I should say, is cause and effect, what's usually referred to as dependent arising. And if things happen in terms of cause and effect, in other words, are acting in a destructive way or are acting in a constructive way, they're based on causes. We look at our behavior, either it is something which is causing problems or it's bringing about more benefit, more happiness to ourselves and others. What that implies is being non-judgmental. I think it's very important to understand in the uh, uh, way in which we deal with life. Buddhist ethics are not based on following the rules. And if you follow the rules, either rules that were given by some divine being or rules that were given by some uh, legislature, by some uh, ruler, uh, if you have an ethic which is based on that type of following rules, following the laws, then you have judgment. You know, and if you follow the laws, you're good, and you get rewarded. And if you don't follow the laws, if you break the laws, you're bad. You get punished. Well, this is not Buddhist ethics. This is not the Buddhist way of dealing with life. So that's very important in terms of whether we are uh, judgmental toward ourselves. I think that's one of the most uh, deep uh, changes in attitude that uh, we need to try to make. It's not be judgmental about ourselves. You know, I'm bad, I'm no good, I'm not good enough. Oh, what I did was so terrible. These type of things. But to view our way of dealing with life in terms of cause and effect. That uh, if I messed up, if I caused some problems, that this arose because of causes and conditions. It's not because I was bad, but uh, because I was, you know, if you go deeper and deeper, I was confused about the situation. I didn't understand all of that. And then what it comes down to, really, is projection, that uh, we tend to exaggerate things, we tend to project all sorts of nonsense onto ourselves, onto situations around us, onto other people, and then we believe that these projections refer to reality when they don't. So if we look at ourselves and why we are acting in destructive ways, usually we can find that we have projected some nonsense onto whatever is involved in the situation. His Holiness the Dalai Lama has uh, recently been uh, speaking very much about uh, what is a, the most universal way of uh, helping people to understand, to make their lives less problematic 
And he's not restricting himself to a Buddhist audience. He's speaking universally, as is his concern. And he says that uh, where we need to start is to understand the two truths, which you might find you know, a little bit surprising. But uh, he says this is most basic, and we don't need to look at the two truths in a very sophisticated way, but uh, we can look at it in a much more basic way that anybody can relate to. So when we speak of the two truths, we're speaking about projection based on exaggeration or just projection based on nothing, just our wild ideas, and reality. These are the two truths. To a confused mind, the projections like I'm a loser, I'm no good, nobody loves me, you know, this is the biggest disaster in the world, you know, whatever, you know, our meal burned, you know, or they ran out of what we wanted in the restaurant, or we're stuck in traffic. This is the most terrible thing. It's going to last forever. I'll never get home. All these sort of projections, when we take them to be true, <laughs> you know, that they refer to reality, that's conventional truth. You know, what a confused mind would consider as true. And then there's the reality. Deepest truth. And the reality is, you know, the traffic is there because it's rush hour and everybody wants to get home. What do I expect? You know, it's like complaining about it being so cold in the winter. Well, what did you expect? It's winter. <laughs> so... It's uh, like that. It's two truths. And if we can understand, understand the difference between the two, then this is something that we need to integrate into our lives. Being able to differentiate the two, being able to recognize when we're projecting, when we're exaggerating, and this is indicated in the next line of that uh, prayer where it says, like the stars, a blur or a torch, an illusion, drops of dew or a bubble, a dream, flash of lightning or clouds, regard affected phenomena to be like that. So to view, you know, first of all, to recognize in our life when we are projecting, when we are exaggerating, when we're making a big, big deal out of nothing or out of something very small, to recognize that. And to recognize that the fact that it seems so real is like an illusion. It's not really like that. So I'm not going to believe it. It's like popping the balloon of our fantasy. So, projection. There are basically two types of projection. Some are useful and some are detrimental. What's useful as a projection? Well, you can have a positive or a neutral intention. 
Like for instance, uh, setting up a, a trip that you're going to make. I'm going to travel to here or there, and you think ahead. That's a projection that I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to take this with me, I need to make a reservation, etc. Or a work routine or a shopping list. And you go to the store. These are projections, aren't they? In terms of what I intend to do or plan about how we're going to accomplish something. You often do this at work when you uh, set up a, uh, a plan for what are we going to accomplish for the rest of the year. I mean, I do this as well with uh, my uh, group. And then we need to realize that it's like a dream. And so what does that mean in practical level? It means to be flexible. These are, as it says in the verse, an affected phenomenon. It's affected by causes and conditions, sometimes called conditioned phenomenon. Things arise based on causes and conditions. And the causes or the situation, when we make a plan, they change. And because they change, like uh, um, there are no more seats available on that flight. So even though you plan to take that flight, you change. Rather than complaining about it, rather than freaking out about it, you just accept the reality. This is what we need to train to do. Because when we get stuck in our original plan and don't have that flexibility to, re you know, to realize that that original plan is like an illusion, like a bubble, you know, like all these analogies that it gives. Then we hold on tight to it. And what does that produce? That produces a very unhappy state of mind. We get very angry. We get very frustrated. What is the effect of that? I mean, it just makes us miserable. Doesn't help at all. Doesn't change the situation. Cursing at the traffic when we're stuck in traffic doesn't help. Beeping the horn doesn't help. The only thing that helps is to accept the reality. The situation has changed. I plan to arrive at a certain time. I miss the, the train or the train gets delayed, nothing I can do about it. This is how we apply, you know, on a very useful level, the teachings in our life. So we have to understand, you know, is there a correct way of considering things, and an incorrect way of considering things? Incorrect is to think that something which is, uh, you know, changing all the time with the circumstances. It's incorrect to think that it's static and fixed. The plan is fixed. This is a very basic type of thing that uh, we need to be ready to change our plans when they're needed. When things don't work out, when you get caught in traffic or somebody cancels an appointment or things like that. Shantideva in uh, engaging in bodhisattva behavior gives the best advice for this. He says, if it can be remedied, why get into a foul mood over something? 
And if it can't be remedied, what help is it to get in a foul mood about it? That's very basic. That's something that really we need to digest. Really, we need to make that part of our way of dealing with life. Get into a difficult situation. Things don't work out. If we can change it, change it. You know, it doesn't help to get into a foul mood. If you can't change it, there's nothing you can do about it. Like, uh, they lost your luggage, you know, when you <laughs> took a flight. You're not going to get it for another day. So you just accept that reality. I had a very uh, interesting uh, experience uh, a few weeks ago. I was going to uh, some teachings by His Holiness the Dalai Lama in uh, Holland. And I uh, went to the airport to fly to Amsterdam. And I'm waiting online for uh, the check-in. And the computer system had gone down. And there was a big, long line. And everybody was freaked out that uh, uh, we're not going to be able to check in in time to uh, be able to make the flight. And uh, the people in front of me in the line took out their passport and uh, just looking through it, looking at their uh, ticket, their uh, check-in thing. And then I reached over to my pocket to check my passport, and I realized that I had forgotten to bring my passport with me. And you can't check in without your passport, and I don't have a German ID card. First time in my entire life that that ever happened. What do you do? I'm at the airport. There's absolutely no way that I can go back to my apartment and come back to the airport and make that flight. So do you get upset about it? That's not going to help. Do you get angry about it? That's not going to help. So I went and I asked, is there another flight, later, you know, a later flight? There wasn't one from that airport, but from the other airport, completely on the other side of town. It wasn't until the night, which meant that I would miss the uh, event in the evening that I had, was going to go to. What to do? That's it. Go home, make the reservation on the other flight, and miss that event. So... That, I think, really is a test of how have we integrated the teachings in our life. Do we get upset about the whole thing? Do we freak out? Do we get angry? Which isn't, you know, all it is going to do is hurt ourselves, make us absolutely miserable. Or do you just, okay, instantly accept the reality of the situation, and now what am I going to do? And that's really how we need to integrate on a very practical level the Buddhist teachings of impermanence and our projections of, you know, I'm going to go on this flight and then I'm going to take the train to, from Amsterdam to Rotterdam and I'm going to go to this event in the evening that that's like a dream. Not going to happen. And okay. So now we do an alternative plan. 
So this comes down to a very basic uh, instruction which is given for meditation. We need to meditate with no expectations and then we'll have no disappointments. And that's very, very basic in terms of the practical application of Buddhism in our lives. My sister uh, has two sons and four grandchildren. And I'm always, you know, uh, encouraging her not to expect that her sons are going to call her or her grandchildren are going to call her. If you expect it, you're going to be disappointed because they're not going to do it. You want to speak with them, you call them. It's as simple as that. So it's a matter of accepting the reality. If you can change it, change it like I changed my plane reservation, took a later plane. If you can't change it, you can't change it. You know, it's not going to, you know, you're not going to get your lost luggage any sooner than it is going to come. So you accept that. So, as I said, there are two types of uh, projection. One which is uh, useful. You need to make certain plans. You can't just uh, uh, not make a plane reservation if you want to go somewhere. And then there are others which are detrimental. But before we go on, I think maybe it's a good idea to just reflect in our own situation. How flexible am I? How much do I get upset when things don't go the way that I planned? How much do I get stuck in, you know, a fixed schedule, this is the way it's going to be. You know, this work has to be done, you know, at this time. Or if I go to, you know, my re- this restaurant, they're going to have, you know, the food that I like. And it's going to be good, and it's going to be delivered at the right time. It's not going to have too much salt in it this time, or whatever. How much do we stick to some sort of plan and have an expectation and try to notice how unpleasant it is when we're disappointed. And why are we disappointed? Because we expect it. We think that our plan has to correspond to reality. But everything is dependent on causes and conditions. They ran out of the food that we wanted. They don't have any more left. Causes and conditions. The train was late. We got caught in traffic and we missed the plane. Causes and conditions. So examine in yourself for a few minutes. How flexible am I? And is that something that I need to work on? 
You see, it's not enough to just learn impermanence and focus on your breath and realize that my breath is impermanent. Well, very nice. But how do you apply that in your life? That's the real importance of it. So think about that for a moment. And think of practical examples like uh, you drop a dish and it breaks. How do you deal with that? What's your emotional response? You're cooking something and it burns. How do you deal with that emotionally? That's where it shows how much progress we've made. try to do something on the computer or on your phone and it doesn't work. Can you instantly just try something else? Or do you get upset? Do you swear? So these are the practical applications. And if we do get upset in those situations and we're not able to just switch to plan B, you know, on the computer there's always another way of doing something. On the phone there's always another way. There's always several other ways of doing something. 
if we're not able to make that switch just instantly. Okay, this doesn't work, now I do that. And that gives some indication that uh, these are areas that we have to work on. This is the practical application of the teachings. Okay, so two types of uh, projection, as I said. One is useful. You have to make certain plans, schedule. And the other is uh, not very useful, detrimental, like imagining I'm no good, I'm a loser, nobody loves me, this person is a terrible person. You know, that type of projection. The meal burned, this is a horrible disaster, you know. All of that, I missed the, the train. So it's associated, this uh, detrimental projections, very often they are based on an exaggeration. So it's based on some disturbing emotion. When we have uh, anger, we exaggerate the negative qualities of something and then make it into, blow it up into, you know, the most horrible thing in the world. You know, uh, I don't know what you call it here. We call it the uban, you know, the underground or the uh, subway. I'm sure this has happened to everybody. You know, as you're going down the stairs, it leaves the platform. And after we swear at it, then, (laughs) you know, how are we able to deal with that? Do we exaggerate? This is the worst thing in the world. I have to wait five minutes. I have to wait ten minutes. The most, you know, the biggest disaster in the world. It's not the biggest disaster in the world. So, <laughs> but we exaggerate it. We blow it up. And then we react with anger. And we get very upset. It makes us unhappy. That doesn't help. Uh, or with greed and attachment. This is the most wonderful thing, the most wonderful person. You fall in love, and we only see the good sides, and we exaggerate it. And again, then we expect people to live up to the exaggeration that we have, and nobody can. And then we get disappointed. So these are problematic Often what happens is we look at things from too narrow a perspective. You know, we have some setback in our lives or somebody rejects us and or somebody does something unpleasant to us. Say we're in a relation with somebody and they do something that we don't like. They didn't call us, or they forgot our birthday, or you know, they got angry and yelled at us, or whatever it might be. And then we just focus on that. We don't see the larger picture of the whole relationship. We only identify them with this narrow thing. Or if uh, we have a difficulty, get sick or something, Poor me, I'm the only one that this ever happens to. So, again, very narrow. 
Whereas if we look at it, so that's a projection based on an exaggeration and a very narrow way of looking at things. We don't see the larger perspective. Nobody loves me. Well, go and scan your entire life. Did nobody in your entire life actually love you? Your dog doesn't love you? You know, nobody? Nobody was ever nice to me? I know, I'm such a loser. Well, you never succeeded at anything. You succeeded in learning how to walk. You succeeded in becoming, you know, toilet trained. You know, we, we did succeed in something. <laughs> So, again, our uh, projection here doesn't correspond to reality. But we believe in our projection. We believe that it does. And often we want it to correspond to that. Like, you're the most wonderful person in the world. You're so special. I always think of the penguins in Antarctica, you know, how they have one mate, you know, and to us they all look exactly alike. But this one, this one is the special one out of all of them. And I'm sure from the perspective of the penguins, we are exactly the same like that. Yeah, but uh, it doesn't matter if, uh, you know, anybody else loves us, that we don't care. But you have to love me. So again, we exaggerate. We make a big deal out of things. And uh, that's not uh, very helpful. Another projection is sort of denying reality. A different variation of a projection, which happens when we objectify people make them into an object, we don't really consider that they're a human being and that they have feelings. You know, there's a very famous line, everybody wants to be happy, nobody wants to be unhappy. Well, how seriously do we take that in terms of seeing the reality of other people? You know, very often we ignore that doesn't matter how I treat you, doesn't matter how I, you know, speak to you, as if cause and effect doesn't work, as if you don't have feelings. You know, somebody in the office who is uh, very obnoxious, who's very unpleasant to be with, well, still, they want to be happy. They don't want to be unhappy. They want people to like them. They don't want people to not like them. They're very confused. Again, it goes back to being non-judgmental. You know, as Shantideva said, you know, we destroy our, our happiness as if it were our enemy. In other words, we run toward causes of unhappiness. Somebody acting in a terribly selfish, unpleasant way that's just going to cause everybody to reject them. Nobody likes that. But they think it's going to make them happy. So I find this a very important attitude to have, which is that uh, 
you have feelings just as I do. You want to be happy. You don't want to be unhappy. You want to be liked. You don't want to be disliked. You don't want to be rejected just as I don't. And that's a very helpful thing to practice when we're on a bus, when we're in traffic. Everybody wants to get to their destination. Nobody wants to sit in the traffic, just as I don't. Therefore, there's no reason to get angry at the other people. So this is, as I say, a variant on projection. It's sort of not seeing the reality of others, denying it. So everybody has feelings, just as I do. So again, let's consider within ourselves, when do we have unrealistic expectations? A line that I love is, not everybody liked the Buddha. Why should I expect that everybody's going to like me? They crucified Jesus. Come on. So what do I expect for myself? That everybody's going to love me? It's very helpful when somebody doesn't like us <laughs> or doesn't respond in the way, the positive way that we would like. These are lines, you know, that uh, little memes that uh, if you remember them, they're very helpful on a practical level. Because we have unrealistic expectations we project. I should always be right. Everybody should always listen to me. Why? So, think about that. You know, what sort of unrealistic expectations do we have of ourselves? That doesn't mean, remember, we're making this differentiation between what's useful and what's unuseful. We could have intentions, you know, I would like to do better. I would like to improve. I'd like to have more concentration. I'd like, you know, whatever. And what is unrealistic? As in, everybody should love me. I should always be, you know, the most important person in your life. You should always be available for me. These are, you know, when you come home, it's as if nothing happened in your life. Before that, you came from nothing. And now you should be totally available for me. It's unrealistic, isn't it? So how many of these unrealistic expectations do we have? And how well can we recognize them? And recognize that they're really very much harming me when I believe them. They're really causing me a lot of emotional pain.
troublemakers, Dalai Lama likes to call them, internal troublemakers. I think in the West, we have uh, a great deal of influence from this uh, judgment-oriented philosophy that we have. So I think for many of us, one of the uh, troubling thoughts that we have is, I'm not good enough. which is very judgmental. We need to recognize that nobody is judging us. We certainly don't need to judge ourselves. I may be confused, but that doesn't mean that I'm bad. No, I'm not good enough. very self-destructive projection on ourselves. So this being able to differentiate between the two truths, what seems to be true to me that I'm not good enough is actually false. There's no reason to believe that. And then stop believing it. And lead, we need to lead our lives in terms of cause and effect. If I want to accomplish something, I need to bring about the causes. And if that's possible, just do it. And if it's not possible, well, accept reality. If I want to get a better job, I need to look for it. Not just wait for somebody, you know, something to fall from the sky and somebody gives it to me. Cause and effect.
or at least we need to be receptive to possibilities and take advantage of them. Not just get locked into, oh, so terrible. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm never going to get ahead. Nobody's ever going to hire me. These sort of thoughts, very negative. As it says, commit not anything negative at all. So it's not just a matter of committing in terms of doing or speaking, but also in terms of thinking. How we regard ourselves, how we regard others. So this approach of differentiating projection from reality is how to apply the Four Noble Truths in our life. Go from the two truths to the four truths, as holiness emphasizes. So you understand that our problems, first noble truth, come from causes our projections and then our ignorance or unawareness that these projections don't correspond to reality. So if we want to achieve a stopping of that, get rid of it, then we have to understand reality, pop the balloon of our fantasy. So you see, with all of this, you don't have to be Buddhist. That's why His Holiness says this is a universal approach. You don't have to call it Four Noble Truths. You don't have to call it anything. And then it actually leads to the three jewels, which you don't even have to say what they are. Because if you can see that if I get rid of the cause of my problems, the problems will go away. And that's the Dharma jewel. The state of all the problems and their causes being gone and the understanding that brings it about. Third and fourth noble truths. And then Buddhas are those who have done that completely and the Sangha are those that have done it in part. So again, you have two truths, four truths, three jewels, and you don't even have to be a Buddhist for that. To be Buddhist, you know, the, the uh, dividing line is, you know, wanting to work to improve future lives. Well, come on. This approach doesn't need that. Very interesting. His Holiness was uh, pointing out that our uh, traditional sutra approach, the Tibetans have, it was introduced in uh, Tibet at the time of Atisha, is Lam Rim, three levels of motivation, improve future lives, get liberation from future lives, and then help everybody else get liberation from future lives. So it all depends on future lives, rebirth. Four thoughts that turn the mind to the Dharma is the same thing, rebirth. So the whole path is based on faith. 
faith that there is such a thing as rebirth. So for us Westerners, or for a more general approach, His Holiness says that uh, better to start with this two truths, four truths, three gems. Then you can get into the discussion of, well, reality is cause and effect. So then cause and effect doesn't make any sense if you have an absolute beginning. So you get to beginningless mind. If you get beginningless mind, then you get rebirth. Then you can get into actually sincerely wanting to benefit future lives and to gain liberation from samsara, uncontrollably recurring rebirth. Otherwise, it's based on faith. It's not stable. So it doesn't mean that it's useless. It just means that we need to catch up to, you know, the place where traditionally Tibetans began. And I think that uh, this also indicates the way that we can integrate the teachings into our lives is in terms of starting with this differentiation between my projections and reality and to try to recognize when we are projecting, when we are believing in our projections and to be non-judgmental about it. Okay, this is silly. I thought that you were going to, you know, help me with that and you didn't. I thought that you were going to do it correctly and you didn't. You know, in my project we assigned a task to somebody and we expected that they would do it well and they didn't. So what do you do? Well, do it yourself. Do you get angry with the person? That doesn't help. Don't give them any other assignment. Don't ask them to do something like that again. So deal with reality. You get upset because you expected that they would do it correctly. You can hope that they do it correctly. That's different. (laughs) You hope that they'll do it. They don't expect it. No expectations, then no disappointments. So when we want to try to commit not anything negative at all, as that line says, we need to recognize when we are acting or speaking or thinking in a way that's under the influence of these disturbing emotions. The definition of disturbing emotion is so wonderful. It's a state of mind that when we develop it causes us to lose peace of mind and lose self-control. When you get angry, you don't have peace of mind and you lose self-control. You say and do things that later you regret. When you're greedy or clinging to somebody, it's not a peaceful state of mind, and you say things that later are quite ridiculous. 
often will chase the other person away because you're too demanding, too clinging. So we need to recognize when we're acting under the influence of a disturbing emotion. And when you become a little bit sensitive to your energy, you can feel that you're a little bit nervous. When there's some underlying hostility or underlying, you know, grasping for uh, something. And these destructive emotions come from our unawareness, ignorance, unawareness of cause and effect. We're just not aware. It's not that we're stupid. We just are unaware that things follow from cause and effect and we are unaware of reality. Our projections don't correspond to reality. In the seven-point mind training It says very nicely, place all the blame on one thing, self-cherishing. So that means grasping for things always to go my way, the way I would like it to be. Me first, this sort of uh, attitude. The way that I project, the way that I expect things to go, that should be the way that it is. Very helpful. Place all the blame on one thing, it says. See, I wanted this restaurant to be perfect. I wanted this evening to be perfect. I wanted you to act like this toward me. It's coming from me, me, me. I'm only thinking of me, not you. Not thinking about, you might have had a difficult day. You might have been occupied with something else. Just me. What I wanted. So these are things to try to bring into our daily life. You know, the Buddhist outlook on life is that, you know, blame is on this self-cherishing, which means being selfish, self-centered. It's not that we totally ignore our needs, but not to take our needs as the only thing and totally ignore your needs. This is a very basic uh, approach. And then splendidly enact what is constructive, that means with understanding, without being greedy, without being, you know, the needy person, I need everybody to like me. I need approval. I need attention. When we act under the influence of those attitudes, we cause trouble, don't we? We make unrealistic demands on others, and we're disappointed. So acting in a constructive way means without that, without being, getting angry. It doesn't mean you know, on the deepest, deepest level that you've achieved a true stopping of these things. But that we're able to not act under the strong influence of them.
you know, without being naive. So we need to recognize the equality of self and others. Just as I have feelings, so do you. Just as I don't like to be rejected, neither do you. I don't like to be ignored, neither do you. These type of things we need to integrate into our lives. And to do this, we have to fully subdue our own mind. Third line of this prayer. So it's very helpful to look at life as a training grounds. This is where we train. This is what the practice is all about. Practice is not limited to sitting on a cushion with you know, the whole environment around, you know, with candles and incense and all of that sort of stuff. And it has to be quiet and no babies around or anything like that. Real practice. Remember, I went to one uh, center, Buddhist center, that uh, a student of mine was uh, teaching at. And uh, somebody had brought their two-year-old. And the two-year-old was running around in the center, you know, while the whole session was going on and acting like a two-year-old. I mean, what do you expect? It's a two-year-old. What do you expect? You know, stop acting like a two-year-old. That doesn't make any sense. And, you know, he pointed out, this is perfect. You know, it's wonderful that we have this little child running around and making a lot of noise while we're trying to meditate. This is the real practice. Can you do your practice and not be upset by the little kid running around and not be distracted? I mean, it doesn't mean that if you're the parent, you don't pay attention so the kid doesn't get hurt. But can we do our practice and stuff with the traffic noise outside? Can we practice while we are stuck in traffic ourselves? This is life. And life needs to be our area of practice. That's the real battleground against our ignorance, against our unawareness, against our disturbing emotions. Atisha says it very nicely in uh, a Bodhisattva Garland of Gems. He says, when in the midst of many, let me keep a check on my speech. When remaining alone, let me keep a check on my mind. Very helpful. When you're with others, watch how you speak to them, what you say to them. Not just the words, the tone of voice, the attitude behind it, the emotions behind it. And if you find that you're speaking with hostility or arrogance or anything like that, tone it down. (laughs) Notice it. Same thing with your mind when you're alone. What you're thinking when you're thinking all sorts of negative thoughts. You know, poor me. That whole syndrome. Poor me. 
nobody appreciates me. <laughs> this sort of stuff. So then that brings us to the seven-point mind training where it says, you know, the three difficult things. To be mindful of the opponents. To be mindful, mindful means to remember them. Be mindful to apply them. And to be mindful to maintain them, sustain it. These are the three most difficult things and the most important things. We hear about mindfulness practice, but uh, that doesn't mean to just, you know, the way that uh, it's understood in Western context of just being the present moment. The word mindfulness is the word to remember. Remember that this is garbage, what I'm projecting. And to apply it. And to keep it up. That's the real practice in daily life. And if you look at, you know, we hear all this stuff about uh, be non-conceptual. Don't be conceptual. What does that mean? Well, we can, uh, of course, give a very technical definition of that. A technical analysis. But if we look at it on a practical level, what we're aiming for is not to have to think about these things in order to apply them. If in that situation where you miss the flight or you miss the train, you don't have to think impermanence and everything is affected by causes and conditions and I was stuck in traffic and if I get angry that's going to, you know, not help at all. All these sort of things. If you need to think about it in order to remember it, fine, that's the first step. You have to. But what you want to do is to get to the point where it's just automatic. You don't have to think about it. It's there. You don't overreact. You're just able to be automatically flexible. This is what we're aiming for. It's not some mystical state. Maybe it's not the full, full, non-conceptual state. But if we look at it in a non-technical way, that's what we are practicing for. To be able to integrate all these teachings into our lives in order to Avoid creating more and more suffering for ourselves and for others. That's what it's all about. So think about that for a moment, and then we have some time for any questions or discussion you might have.
Okay. So these are some, I think, very basic principles. You know, if I can stop being so selfish, if I can stop being so self-centered, I'll be a happier person. If instead of when I'm with somebody only talking about myself, but instead show show sincere interest in the other person and ask them about that, actually I'd be much happier. And certainly they would be happier. Just basic changes in our way of dealing with life, dealing with others. And to remember it. The mindfulness to remember that and to try to actually apply it when I'm being selfish or only thinking about me. The other person is busy, wants to leave, and we just keep talking and talking and talking. Because of self-cherishing, we're thinking what I have to say is so important. Do they really want to hear it? No. But we project that. So these are very, very practical level. You know, life is where we need to apply the Dharma. That's what it's all about. Okay, any questions you might have? Yeah. Is that on? to think that I am quite flexible and able to face reality, um, which I find sometimes is not quite so true. But um, one problem which I keep uh, um, facing is um, what is uh, reality or sort of when to... Uh, give up and when to try to hold on to my plan, what can be changed, what cannot be changed. Uh, To take one example, practical example, um, once I missed the train and it it would have been much better not to miss that train. And so we run off and jumped into a taxi and caught the train at the next station. Mm Very good. Very pleased with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when to to sort of be able to judge when is it, when is it useful to fight to try to do what I want or have planned, and when is it more useful to sort of say that that's not how it is? 
Well, I think there are uh, several factors which are involved here. One, you know, to, you know, when do we actually, do we continue pursuing a plan or do we give up? We have to see if it can be changed, if there are alternative things that we can do. Like you said, you know, jump in a taxi and get the train at the next station, then do it. If there are no taxis available, then you have to give up. So that uh, is on a uh, practical level. But uh, on a, uh, another level, let's say I uh, apply to get into a uh, school. You know, if we're a young person and we get rejected this year, do I give up or do I apply again next year? So then you have to uh, evaluate. You know, there's nothing negative about applying next year if I don't get anything else. So that implies or that you know, entails analysis. You need to analyze the situation. Is it realistic or not? Am I exaggerating my abilities or not? Ask other people's opinions. You can ask other people's opinions as well. I mean, for each individual choice, you have to analyze. I don't know. I don't think there's any, you know, patent answer that covers everything except analysis. What does accomplishing my aim depend on? And are, because it will arise by causes and conditions, and are those causes and conditions? Can they be met? And if they can't be met now, is there any possibility to meet them in the future? So approach it in a very rational type of way. And are there alternatives? I think like that. Anyone else? Yeah. Um, first of all, I would like to thank you for a very lovely speech, which I can really apply to my own life. That is really, well, it's really worthwhile. Good. I wonder if you could um, repeat these uh, three lines in the mm -hmm. prayer. Uh, yeah? Yeah. The lines are, commit not anything negative at all, in other words, don't do any, it doesn't have to be the exact word, don't do anything negative. Splendidly enact what is constructive. In other words, do what is constructive and fully subdue your own mind, which means subdue means to tame your mind when it is, uh, when you're thinking in all sorts of uh, unrealistic ways and disturbing ways. These are the teachings of Buddha. So, 
I, I'm sure this comes from a sutra. I don't know which sutra it comes from, but this is the basic essence. Don't do any harm. Do, you know, uh, try to help others. Do what is helpful. If you can't do that, at least don't harm. And the way to accomplish all of that is to tame your mind. That's the basic teachings of the Buddha. Right, so it's not a matter of being, becoming obedient in order to do that. But tame your mind means to gain correct understanding, to realize that uh, when we are acting negatively, it's because we're confused. We don't understand what's helpful and what's harmful. Anyone else? No? Yeah, you have to hold it by your mouth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's a microphone. Uh, okay, so uh, I was wondering because um, uh, I went to a retreat this weekend with my uh, fellow uh, Triratna Buddhists. <coughs> and uh, I was very, um, I had a lot of expect expectations uh, about myself. I wanted to be very uh, cool, uh, talk a lot about Dharma, be very funny, um, uh, get to know all the participants. Um, and after the retreat, I was very tired, and uh, I sort of had this moment where I saw that uh, I was sort of in a loop between my expectations of myself that was were very high, and then the my subjective uh, sort of evaluation of everything, and that is always negative. Um, so, uh, and I, this is sort of new to me to see uh, clearly, clearly what I'm uh, doing uh, to sort of keep myself in a suffering loop. Um, and I try to uh, remember that my devaluation is not uh, sort of uh, rational. But I keep falling back because my feelings say different. Mm -hmm. uh, and so my question is, uh, uh, what, what can I uh, do to sort of practice uh, not devaluating myself uh, besides remembering it? Because that's a little bit difficult uh, now. Do you understand? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, often we know what would be helpful, what would be best, but uh, our emotions are so strong that it's difficult to actually do anything about it. I think that's very common that uh, that happens. I think we need to try to be very decisive. 
Decisive means to be convinced that uh, although I might get very emotional and get very upset and so on, that uh, this is not something that I'm going to take so um, I want to say seriously but I don't want that to be misunderstood Uh, we can feel very upset about something and very moved by something but uh, these things pass Moods pass, emotions pass, they change, and so on. And taking seriously, I think, is not maybe the best way of saying it, but uh, you don't want to grasp onto it and identify with it. That, oh, I'm so upset, you know, I messed up again, I didn't live up to my expectation, and so on, I'm no good. You know, you identify with the the mood and you hold on to it. So you consider it so special, so important. But it's not. It's just a, a passing mood. And I'm convinced, I mean, this is what we need to work on, that that's not really what I want. So this mood is going to pass. So I'll let it pass. Because deep down I understand that that was an unrealistic expectation I had. So I I feel hurt, but that hurt will pass. So we don't take that hurt so seriously in the sense of, you know, it's the end of the world. You know, I mean, they always say it's like a cloud in the sky, this sort of thing, it'll pass. So I think that's the only way to to deal with it. And to realize that emotions are going to go up and down. Some of us are much more emotional than others. And, okay, we don't have to be judgmental about it that part of accepting reality. The reality is this is what, you know, where I'm at now is that I'm very emotional and I get upset about things, but I'm not going to hold on to it and become, then work more and more on becoming convinced that of what is reality. I had none, you know, I went to this retreat and I thought that I was going to have wonderful concentration and my mind wandered throughout the whole thing. Okay, so unrealistic expectation. Of course your mind's going to wander. Of course it's not going to be great. So 
lower the expectation. And then become, you know, feel sincere about that. I can achieve, you know, the highest level, but it's not going to come without cause and effect. I have to put in the hard work. And if I'm very, very emotional and so on, well, it can be transformed into positive emotions. You know, then you're probably able to feel stronger love and compassion rather than feeling strong being upset. You know? So it's a, it's a positive thing. There's some people who are very rational and don't, you know, it's very hard to feel any emotion. So for them, it's very difficult to really feel love and compassion. So you have you know, something positive there, so it's a matter of transforming it. And that will come gradually, cause and effect. Very good advice, thank you. I really didn't understand the last words that you just said. What? I said that it was very good advice. Oh, so I thank thanked you. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here, you know, very nice, but I didn't understand what you just said. You had a question, Hans Peter? Maybe I got distracted so, uh, down the road, but. Um, um, I was in in connecting to what uh, you have been talking about. <laughs> okay. Um, I was thinking about in terms of you do all this training, and um, at the same time you see that. Um, there's a need for people taking responsibility in many, many aspects uh, in in this society, for example. And and when do you sort of when do you know when you're ready to step up, take responsibility, um, look for new challenge challenges? Because I guess. Many. You mean like take a new job or what? Yeah, or or to to go out of your comfort zone, right? So you 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 um, you, you you try to work with these troublemakers. We we try to work with these troublemakers, the kleshas, but at the same time there is a need for for many people to go out of their own comfort zone to do new things. And that would many times lead to you meeting these troublemakers. Mm-hmm. So I wondered if you could say something about that as well. Uh, well, to uh, when do we actually 
go out of our comfort zone and deal with things that uh, would challenge us uh, emotionally is the issue here. And I think it has to do with what is constructive and what is destructive. To go out of my, our, my comfort zone to go to a bar and hang out with drunk people. Well, you know, you could say, well, a bodhisattva would go to hell and, you know, help the beings there. But, uh, you know, that would, might be a bit drastic for someone like myself, for example. But uh, go out of my comfort zone to do something constructive, like actually say some kind words to the homeless person that's begging on the street. That's something different. So I think that uh, first thing that you have to differentiate is am I going into a, you know, how, how strong is the situation in terms of, uh, what should we say? Is it a negative situation or a positive? I mean, that's a little bit heavy to say. Negative, you know, going into the bar with the drunk people is negative. But uh, what are we trying to accomplish? You know, to go and, I mean, I don't go to parties at clubs with loud techno music and uh, dance until 8 o'clock in the morning like some young people I know do would it be of any benefit for me to go out of my comfort zone and do that well it's going out of my comfort zone but I don't see anything positive you know unless you want to overcome you know, any negative judgmental attitudes that I might have about that. But I can work on that without having to go and dance until 8 o'clock in the morning and become deaf from the volume. But there are other things that maybe, you know, volunteer to help with the refugees that maybe also is out of my comfort zone, but would be a positive thing in terms of developing generosity and these sort of things. And then you have to see, also evaluate, what am I doing now? Is it of benefit or not of benefit? Or is it just neutral in terms of time management? Uh, one of my students brought up in the class last week, which was very good. He said that because uh, I, you know, before I came here, I asked my class, I have just a discussion class, and uh, in the discussion class, and very small, only six to eight people, the most, and uh, we're all friends, and we go out, you know, have a meal afterwards. 
But uh, so I asked them, you know, what would you say in terms of uh, uh, how the Dharma helps you in your daily life? So one of them was saying that uh, he was making an effort to go out of his comfort zone. That's why I'm bringing it up, which is that uh, you te- people tend, or at least he tends, to pay more attention and try to become closer with people who are good-looking and to consider them more important, in a sense, than others. This he found it himself. And so he said that he made it a point to become friendly with uh, somebody at work who was very obese and, you know, had some sort of weird thing on their face and was really, you know, not very pretty. And to really practice that this is a human being and wants to be happy and wants to be liked, doesn't want to be disliked or ignored. And this person could turn out to be, you know, my best friend. They could turn out to be a gem. So I'm not going to ignore this person, even though it is outside of my comfort zone. And I'm going to befriend this person. So I thought that was a very good example of something positive, of going outside of our comfort zone. So things like that, I think, are doable. So if you're going to go out of your comfort zone, do it in steps which are possible, you know, not giant steps. I mean, I have another friend who went to the other extreme. You know, he liked to go out of his comfort zone all the time. So he would hang out with, you know, junkies who are, you know, um, trafficking and selling drugs in the park because it was uncomfortable to go and be with these people. So he would go and hang out with them. I mean, this I don't see any benefit of. This was just, you know, almost a macho type of demonstration that, uh, you know, he could do that. Anybody else? Anyway, so let's end then for the evening. I mean, it's an interesting question, actually. uh, How do we deal with going outside of our comfort zone? And what does it mean? What is our comfort zone? And how much of a projection is that? Of this is where I feel safe. And what is a comfort zone? That's something to analyze in ourselves. And can we become comfortable or be comfortable in any situation with any type of person? And I think the key to that is place all the blame on one thing, self-cherishing. When we're uncomfortable with others or in a situation, it's because we're thinking about me, me, me. I don't like this. I can't handle it. As opposed to thinking about the others.
This is a matter of taking interest in, in others. This is a human being. Okay, so let's end with the dedication. I think whatever understanding, whatever positive forces come from this may go deeper and deeper and act as a cause for everyone to achieve enlightenment of a Buddha, the benefit of us all. Now to stop this, you just press this button with the square. Yeah, or you press the record again.